Better Call Saul Amarillo is over, but we are just getting started here on the Better Call Saul post-show recap. And now here are the two guys who walk a fine line between nebulous and not too nebulous. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Antonio Mazzaro. For the purposes of my legal license, I just want to inform everyone listening that Rob solicited me to be on this <laughs> podcast. I did not ask. Rob asked me. And so I'm here of Rob's yes. volition and not because I forced Rob to do anything. Yes. I sent out Antonio a canary yellow flyer. He returned it to my office. And that is why he is back here with me on the Better Call Saul post show recap. Yes. Actually, no, Rob. I was watching Murder, She Wrote, and I saw your commercial for yes. people that wanted a podcast. And here we are. one of my favorite things to do watch murder she wrote yeah anyway antonio very excited to be talking with you about another fun episode of better call saul how are you doing this week not too bad rob i'm happy mondays are good because you know normally mondays are just kind of oh my gosh the beginning of the week but it's nice having a show on monday because all the it seems like all the prestige shows they always line them up on sunday night Mm -hmm. but it's really nice to have a, a big show a big fictional show to watch here on Monday nights uh, and talk about with you. So it's a, it's a really nice way to start the week. A very exciting and very fun season of Better Call Saul underway. And I think we got some interesting things to talk about here tonight in Amarillo, where we see where Jimmy is in charge of getting more and more Sandpiper people to sign up. And uh, he's trying to color within the lines, uh, but he just can't quite get permission to ask Cliff about his commercial, which ends up getting him in some hot water. And then Mike is getting into a uh, increasingly complicated scenario with his daughter-in-law, which ultimately ends up getting him more in league in the underworld of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I mean, you're really describing what is a little bit of a chess pieces kind of episode shows that set up these things that are going to pay off later. We can sort of see the movements here a little bit. Not that the writing of the show is poor by any stretch, but this is a show I think where a lot of things are established that will, that will, that play off things that have happened before, but that are really going to pay off down the line in a much bigger way. Uh, And what we see, especially with Mike, as we see these things pulling Mike in a certain direction where we know he ends up, uh, but that he, even in this episode already has articulated that he doesn't want to end up. So it's really good from a character standpoint. And I think some of the same things with Jimmy, uh, who's in a real sandpipers pit, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk through our top stories at this hour. And so we have Jimmy who made this commercial. That was a good commercial. Solid spot, right? Yeah, very moving, very cinematic. I mean, this guy, he knows his stuff. Like he, we have to keep in mind, this is the billboard stunt, Jimmy McGill. This is a little bit of slipping Jimmy in terms of being manipulative and finding ways to tug at the heartstrings while also being convincing. Uh, this is his gig. This is what he does. So it's not surprising at all that he knocks the commercial out of the park. So he makes the commercial. He has it on his VHS tape. He loves VHS tapes, Jimmy. My man loves some VHS, Rob. He's not a beta guy, not a DVD guy, not a digital guy, VHS all the way. (laughs) He's not a beta male. That's right. Definitely not a beta male. And so he decides to then he asks for forgiveness rather than permission and does not ask Ed Bakley Jr. about airing the commercial spot. And he just sends it out to Colorado and then ends up in big trouble, mister, 
by the end of the episode. Oh, that sounds like a Fuller House reference. <laughs> we got to be careful here, Rob. Uh, yeah, no, I, you're right. This is what happens. And of course, he, he, he shoots first and asks questions later, not only because in, in some way that's really just his thing, that's his style, but also because he had to sit through and watch the, the previous commercial they made, uh, which really to me seemed like a commercial that we've all seen on late night television. Uh, do you or a member of your family suffer from mesothelioma? It's uh, produced by asbestos. Call this law firm and this number on your screen. And they and when he found out that they'd been arguing about the background swirl in that commercial, and that they had several meetings about that, I think he knew that anything that he did that would be effective was never going to pass muster internally at the firm. So I think that's why he decided – I'm just going to do this in a small market as a proof of concept, and I'm hopefully going to use the number of responses we get to prove our point. And that's where we're that's where we are. That's what we're going to see next week. Does it work or does it not work? Are, do you think this is going to think this is going to end well for Jimmy Rob, or no. do you think this is going to end poorly? <laughs> no. I think it's going to end poorly. I don't really understand what his end game was because yeah, okay, maybe that was going to be his test balloon. But we saw what happened earlier in the episode with Chuck, where Chuck called him out. And even if Cliff was on board, there was no way the next time they have that update in the board meeting where they talk about, well, we started running a commercial that was very effective, that Chuck was going to have a field day with this. So we saw what Kim's response was ultimately to that. I just don't see any way how, unless Jimmy is just being completely, you know, self-destructive or trying to really just upset the apple cart of this life that he's now in. I, I don't see how he thought this was going to be a good plan. I think that's a kind of, a, you know, an interesting observation, Rob. I think it's a good one that maybe he's got a little bit of a self-destructive streak in him. I, I think it's entirely possible uh, that we see that. We we know that he in some ways has sabotaged uh, things that, that look good for him in the past. And we've just kind of seen him uh, act that way on a number of occasions. And he really is in, in, in some ways his own worst enemy, and especially with Kim, uh, kind of putting her in a position that she doesn't want to be in and uh, being very negative with her. We, we saw that really play out in uh, in what our Josh Wiggler post show week recaps. Josh Wiggler texted me about during the show saying he really likes the footsie motif uh, and seeing, you know, in the past in Jim general has, or just only <laughs> well, on the show. We know Josh is a big hugger, Rob. We know that about him. I don't know what his footsie game is like, but I'm suspecting that it's on point. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think in specifically on the show, he really likes, uh, you know, a couple <laughs> weeks ago, we saw Kim initiate the footsie. She's all about it. This week when Jimmy goes for it, Kim pushes away, and it's in part because Jimmy has again exhibited this sort of uh, reckless disregard for the rule of law that she, in some ways, uh, has to make sure that it's very clear that she supports. So uh, it's causing a problem for him, and I think he knows it. He's trying to fix it, but yet he continues to do it. And I think that this is what we know about Jimmy McGill, is that he has these inner demons or this Whatever he's fighting that is slipping Jimmy, that is, you know, in his soul, that is keeping it's hard to keep at bay. And it is pulling him in that direction. And it's a direction where we ultimately know he does go away from beta male and become like Jimmy 2.0. Uh, he becomes Saul. And that is this, his pure id, basically, just kind of out there and, and really just doing whatever he wants and making not only TV commercials, Rob, but ridiculous ones uh, <laughs> that we saw in the context of Breaking Bad. So this is something that is just kind of pulling him in a certain direction throughout this series. 
And a, poor, a big part of what's interesting about it is is where does it lead him? And it's also, I think, kind of tragic because we, we can already tell it's leading him in some not good ways. To me, I don't feel like this is any different than the light switch in the office where it's like, okay, whatever you do, don't touch this switch. And he just cannot not do what he is told not to do. And he had to have known that his boss is going to really be mad about this. Like he goes to his boss's door. He sees him playing the guitar. He's like, ah, he's going to say no. Let me just go do this anyway, because it sort of like gives him whatever sort of thing that makes him feel alive to break the rules. And then ultimately it goes exactly how you expected it to go. Yeah, that's the superego. That's the part that's kind of moralizing, kind of basically saying, like, you should be doing these things. And his id is just running wild and trying to do something different. Uh, and I think that it's not only that. It's that Jimmy just wants to do what Jimmy wants to do. You're right. It's like the switch because he just wants to do things. He, it's not even that he's got oppositional defiant disorder or that he wants to be told a certain thing and then push against it. It's just that if he wants to do something, if his id is pushing him in this sort of instinctual way, he's just going to do it. And he, he even though he has these other parts of him that tell him it's not the right thing to do uh, or that are trying to balance that out, he gives in to that id a lot of the time. Uh, and I think we'll we'll see that just unbridled id, like I said, when he becomes Saul, that's what it is. Uh, and and I think that that's a big part of it. I also think that he probably knew from, like I said, from watching that other commercial, that it was just never going to get approved the way he wanted it to get approved. But he also knew that it would work, uh, mm-hmm. and he was right. Uh, and so he went for it. And I think he went for it thinking that he had. I don't know, Rob, when you work your day job, if you ever had this these sort of opportunities where you had plausible deniability where you could kind of say like, Oh, sorry, that was a misunderstanding. You told me I was the head of this department. I thought that I could do this without any clearance. I really apologize, but look, it worked. And I think that's what he thought he could get away with a little plausible deniability. I think it remains to be seen whether that will be the case. Now, how do you think this ends up for Jimmy with this next episode that's coming up that do you think that Jimmy is able to hold on to his job here at Davison, Maine, at least for a few more episodes? Or do you think that he's going to be out there coming into episode four? Uh, I think that he should be able to hold on to it, but I really think it'll be by the skin of his teeth. And I think he's going to be on zero tolerance from here on out. I don't think you hire Ed Begley uh, and bring him into the show for just a couple of appearances. I think just practically, I think we'll see that. I also think that we're, we're, you know, a 10 episode season. I don't see where he would go uh, for the rest of this season from here, but I can see where this sets him up for kind of a zero tolerance, no error kind of thing. And I really think more than anything, this interplay between Chuck and Jimmy, uh, we can't have seen the last of that. We have to see this play out a little bit. And I don't know exactly where that will go, but I do think it's going to be really rough for Jimmy next week. It, I, I don't know if you've ever had somebody call you like that and, and really rip into you. Uh, and we're in a meet at 8 a.m. tomorrow, my office with the partners. But mm-hmm. that is not a good phone call to get. And it's not going to go well, for sure, at least in that front. Yeah, I routinely get that phone call from my wife. My wife. Yeah, that's really downstairs. difficult. Yes. Yeah, that's difficult. Come on downstairs. <laughs> My office downstairs right now. <laughs> no, it's mostly over text. Yeah. Oh, like, that's even worse these days. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Because you can't even read the tone into that. And you just assume the worst. Yeah, that's for the sure. worst. All right. So you brought up Chuck and we saw this confrontation and it was a real like mono mono showdown in the boardroom. And it felt like we saw Jimmy get the best of it. And it actually felt like for the first time, maybe in the series that Jimmy bested Chuck where he really shut him down and had to have been a good moment 
for Jimmy until the point that we get to the footsie game where he realizes that Kim was like, no, I don't like this. This is no good. And then he really did an about face on what he was saying. First, let's talk about that confrontation between Jimmy and Chuck. What did you get out of that where Jimmy actually beat Chuck at a point? Chuck check. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, it's, it's interesting. Chuck showing up with his space blanket suit on and just really seems to be there. He said to bear witness, but he seems to be there because he wants to just call Jimmy out. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's looking for support in that room. And Jimmy's able to kind of, uh, shuck, shuck and jive his way through it and really basically like, uh, you know, kind of just say like, oh, no, it's fine. He, he's real a little, he's a little loose with, uh, with the with the truth in that respect he the story that he tells davison maine and hhm in that room is not ultimately what happened that's the kind of shell game he's playing a little bit there uh, where he's using stage patter to kind of talk his way through it but uh, i think chuck can see through that but other people can't so it's not really a real win uh, it's more of a win in regard to uh, he gets everybody to kind of just listen to him by talking his way through it. Uh, I don't think everybody is on board with what he actually did. And I think with what Chuck knows, he probably did. Jimmy's not winning the moral high ground. He's just talking his way through it. And I think the real kind of judge of that is Kim. Kim doesn't want to play footsie after that because she knows what happened. She knows that Jimmy talked his way through it. She knows that Jimmy doesn't have the moral high ground there. Uh, and she doesn't want to reciprocate at that point. So I don't think that I think that Jimmy in that in that regard judged it as, as a loss when Kim wasn't on his side. Uh, and so it's not a real win uh, because Kim didn't follow through because he was really being kind of fast and loose with the rules. So coming out of that conversation or that meeting, so Jimmy and Kim go up a flight of stairs and they're allowed to talk amongst themselves. And so Kim is really down on Jimmy. She knows that he was up to some shady business with all the sandpiper people. And she says to him, you and I both know you could do this job. Please. You just have to do it right now. This is again on the heels of last week's episode where she ended. The last line we heard her say was, that I don't want to hear about this sort of thing ever again. He says, you won't. Here we are again, the very next episode. Maybe, I don't know if this is a couple of days later. Maybe it's like a week or two later. But now here she is again. And of course, she's going to find out about what's going on with the commercial. Is this the end of Jimmy and Kim too? I think it's possible. I think that this is uh, this is Jimmy pushing Kim away one shove at a time. And I think that's tough. We had a lot of tweets asking us uh, and me specifically to weigh in on this this issue the solicitation issue and not solicitation of kim by jimmy uh, but the solicitation of clients uh this is really the ethical issue that's in play so when kim says i don't want to hear about this sort of thing again the sort of thing that's in play even with the solicitation in texas is is ethics the the ethics of the profession the laws of the profession the rules of the profession uh the things that subject you to sanctions including being disbarred uh that's what was at issue last week with the destruction or fabrication i should say of evidence and that's what's in play this week with the solicitation of clients there are rules in place by the american bar association and 
uh, with regard to professional responsibility about what kind of solicitation of clients lawyers can do. I was joking about it, of course, at the top of this podcast, but you really can't actively solicitate your solicit your clients uh, with sort of uh, this this the kind of thing that Jimmy was doing. You can't really say uh, that, hey, you know, this is what you need to do. You can put out a clear ad that's marked as an ad. Uh, then people are, are viewing it with a clear head and understanding that it's a solicitation and an advertisement. What you're not allowed to do is mask that and disguise it and ultimately do pretty much exactly what Jimmy did. And so Kim recognizes that, I think, that this is yet again another ethical issue that is coming into play. And I think the key note, Rob, when you say, is this the end of Kim and Jimmy, is that Kim says, like, you know, this is going to reflect back on me because I stuck my neck out for you. I This reflects back on my judgment of the situation and the scenario because I put myself out there for you. And I think really we see Kim is a is a strong professional and is working very hard in her job. And I think this is this is subjecting her profession. This is subjecting her career path uh, at Hamlin, Hamlin and McGill when she's put her neck out. We heard Hamlin th- say to Chuck, like, Kim's the one who stuck her neck out. So I think we have to put a pin in this and recognize that this is the issue, that Kim's professional responsibility and professional judgment is going to be put on blast because of the things Jimmy is doing. And it's going to hurt her professionally. And I think that's going to be really difficult for Jimmy to overcome. And he also had multiple opportunities to tell her that he did not get the commercial approved. And he deliberately misled her into believing that Cliff had approved the commercial. She even said, wow, I can't believe that Cliff signed off on it. And he was just like, yep. And so I think she's going to be really furious about this. Right. And I think that's the next step. Right. So we see the last week with the with the fabrication of evidence. We see earlier in this episode, the solicitation of clients in person. And then you're right when they're watching Rock Hudson and I Station Zero and he gets the phone call uh, and, and all of those things. There's multiple opportunities for him to make clear to Kim that this was an issue, not only when he shows her the ad, but also when when. Uh, he gets the call that his that Cliff is very upset and he fa- he fakes it. He's like, oh, yeah, Cliff, it's fine, blah, 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 blah. And in, after he's already been hung up on. So he's not only lying to her in the moment when he shows her the ad, he's lying to her afterwards. He's not making it clear that there's any kind of cover that she needs to give for herself. Uh, so he's not even being a true bro. Like he's not even looking out for her. Like he's really putting her in a very difficult position uh, professionally. And I think that it, it's it's something that has happened now enough times. This is almost three strikes here that I just I think this is not only the beginning of the end of Jimmy and Kim, but probably very near to the end. I don't see how Jimmy's going to talk his way out of it, but he is a smooth talker, Rob. It could happen. Yeah, I just can't imagine this is the end of the road. Yeah, although Kim is not a character we see in Breaking Bad. We've talked about that a lot. So we don't really know where that ends up, but I think they would really want to keep Rhea Seahorn in this show. Mm-hmm. And I think what what's going on between her and Bob Odenkirk and the chemistry they have is very good. And she adds a great dimension to the Jimmy character. So it would be tough, but there's credibility in play, Rob. Like uh, We have to respect her as a character, and I just don't know how, if she continues to make choices that damage her, uh, we can continue to do that. Well, the, the writers of this show are great. I'm sure they'll find a way to write the interactions that will hopefully generate uh, something that's logical and believable and that we can carry through. But at some point, her character will lose credibility if she continues putting up with him. So then when Cliff calls up, he says to Jimmy, look, I knew you were a loose cannon but I didn't know you were an arsonist. I feel like that was an odd choice of words. Did that mean anything to you? 
Nothing specifically. I think that it shows that Cliff is really taking this to the nuclear level almost. Like this this sort of thing to him is is a real violation. It isn't just that he was reckless or eccentric even, that this is a deliberate act of sabotage almost in his eyes. And I think that shows how very vividly uh, his you know emotions are playing out about this incident. Uh, when in reality, I mean, Jimmy's right, like the the proof is in the pudding. I think if you actually sit back and look at that ad, that is, I mean, it, I didn't see if there was any of the fine print that you would want out of an ad like that. I think that could be very difficult. Uh, it's clear why it worked, but it's also clear that he used a former client of his who I'm not even sure was a Sandpiper resident at any time, uh, whose will he wrote, uh, and he used her basically saying Sandpiper ruined my nest egg. Uh, he used her as an actress, and it wasn't necessarily clear that that was the case. So he could be subjecting Davis and Maine to a lot in terms of this case. And I think that that's, that's the sort of thing where just little things that are done about the ad will very much make this guy feel like Jimmy's burning down the law firm around him. So in addition to Jimmy being called an arsonist by Cliff, when he gets off the phone, Kim asks him, so did anything blow up yet? Which is, again... The, this metaphor of, you know, explosions and, you know, things going into flames about this. Yeah. Flames out of the side of my head. Oh, flames no. Shooting flames. Yeah. No, I, it, it, it's funny because Breaking Bad is a show where you've got you know, you've got fulminated mercury blowing up within the first five, what's five or six episodes. And you've got explosions and these high kind of things happening throughout. Better Call Saul, even though in the same universe, never having any of that. But you're having these metaphorical uh, explosions or fires uh, to put out. So I think that that's interesting, uh, you know, that you're that these to these characters who aren't drug dealers dealers and who aren't the people that live in the Walter White world, this is an explosion. This is an, uh, an act of arson. This is the world burning down. The world blowing up for them is something like that happening, not the world actually blowing up. So it is kind of an interesting different side of the same coin in this same universe. Okay, if anybody's going to be dealing with things blowing up, though, on this show, it's probably going to be Mike, who yep. had a pretty interesting storyline going on this week. And we saw first Mike hanging out with Kaylee and Antonio. Did you notice a familiar toy with Kaylee and Mike this week? Did I notice Rob? You can't put a toy pig on a show and have me not remember it. I love pigs. Yeah, I noticed this is a, this is a great toy pig. This is a toy pig that makes an uh, appearance in breaking bad in the fifth season. Uh, at the early part of the fifth season, I think it, it's a pig that Mike uses to get the drop on a hitman that's essentially been sent to kill Mike. Uh, Mike kind of hangs it up on the doorknob uh, and the, the hitman is kind of wondering what it is. And while the hitman is looking at it, uh, Mike gets the drop on him, knocks him down, figures out that I think it, I think in that context and maybe you'll remember better than I, Rob, but I think Lydia has paid a bunch of people or has paid somebody to take to kill a bunch of people on Mike's pay list, starting with Mike, uh, to cover up the kind of things that were happening. And Mike gets the drop on that, figures that out, uh, and uses the pig to do it. So what a great connection. Yeah, really fun. And I knew it was familiar. I saw it in the story sync, ultimately, uh, where they got it from. But yeah, really cool how they bring some of this stuff, these props from Breaking Bad into this. Yeah, it, it's it's just so great. They're so smart. They 
in their writer's room and in the kind of the nexus of of what's going on at the Better Call Saul writer's room, they they have character lists of characters that appeared in Breaking Bad when uh, Ken Wins showed up uh, a couple of weeks ago here on Better Call Saul. That's somebody they had on the board and said, oh, remember that character from Breaking Bad? We can tie him back in and bring him back into this universe. And so they're they're not only aware of characters, but they're also aware of locations and props. Uh, and I think it's fantastic. I just think it's so smart. If you're going to do prequel television, I think this is a really, really great way to do it where you've got a lot of the same connective tissue and DNA in the writer's room and you have a writer's room that's committed to making this show kind of layered and rich with those Easter eggs. Doesn't drive the narrative or the theme of the show at all, but it's a great reward to people who are fans of both shows. So I also thought that this was very intriguing about Mike with his daughter-in-law, Stacy who really gets Mike worked up when she talks about how she heard gunshots in the middle of the night. And Mike is very alarmed about all this. He wants to stay at the house. She says, no, Mike, I don't want you to stay here. Don't make me sorry that I told you. So Mike ends up sleeping over in the car and he camps out. And then the next day he gets another phone call from Stacy about how she heard more gunshots. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on with Stacy. I don't know if Stacy is touched, uh, if Stacy is truly worried about something, if Stacy is faking this to mm-hmm. perhaps get this very situation that happens, which is Mike agrees to help her find a new house. What I do feel like is I feel like the show at least went out of its way to show that Mike did not fall asleep on the job. Uh, Mike did hear some gunshots. Uh, he thought at one point he saw some headlights approaching. It was just the newspapers. We saw Mike with his old transistor radio listening to a ball game, probably putting a pimento sandwich down. (laughs) Uh, And we saw him kind of just staggering up to his toll booth job the next morning, dead on his feet. And I think the implication was very clearly that he did not sleep that night. I just think the Mike Ehrman Trout we know does not fall asleep on the job. So when he shows up back at Stacy's house that next morning after she calls him, and there's a what she describes as a bullet that was fired at 2.13 a.m. into the side of the house. I think we as an audience are meant to believe that that definitely did not happen. So the question is, is she lying? Does she believe that it actually happened? Uh, it Did it actually happen? I mean, where do you stand on this, Rob? I think that she's 100% lying and it did not happen. And now I think she's taking advantage of Mike. Okay, so you're full on team Stacy has bad intentions. Like this is not just that she's got some sort of emotional issue because her husband was murdered uh, and because she's living here all by herself, uh, that this is absolutely a this is a manipulation and, and, a, and a lie and a plan to do exactly what she's doing and get exactly what she gets out of Mike. Yeah, I think that the biggest hole in that theory is that there is that sort of bullet hole that she's pointing to in the side of the wall. So I think that she did something to the wall and is trying to say that it's a bullet hole. And that's why she's trying to point to that as the evidence. Like the the original story was she just heard the gunshots. Then the next step in the story is that the gunshots were even closer. They actually hit the house. And I feel like that this storyline is now it's like, she's not imagining anything that's like sort of out of this world. She's imagining this story, which is like very much putting Kaylee into danger. And I think that she knows exactly what buttons to push with Mike. Yeah. So my question for you in that regard then is, 
uh, is Mike just letting the buttons be pushed? Does he know that she's lying? And ultimately to him, it doesn't matter because he just wants to make them happy. Or does he have a blind spot here that he is maybe thinking that maybe I overlook something. Maybe I miss something. Maybe she's right. I, it doesn't matter because yeah. Mike's going to do what he's going to do. And this is sort of the inciting incident that is going to drive him deeper into the underworld. And so that's fantastic. My question is, is he going there willingly? Is he going there because of a blind spot? Uh, does he does he know the same thing we know, Rob, which is that this is probably a made up story? I don't think Mike has too many blind spots, maybe save for Walter White. I think that Mike looks at the situation as his only connection in the world is his granddaughter. That's all he cares about at the point that he accuses his daughter-in-law of trying to manipulate him, of being a liar, of any of those things, I think that's the point where she says, Mike, get out of my house. I never want to see you again. And that's it. And Mike's cut off from his granddaughter. So what choice does he have? He doesn't have his son in the picture to say, okay, dad, I'll, you know, let's go on, you know, I'll take you to go visit Kaylee. This is his only connection to Kaylee. So he has to do, he's at Stacy's mercy. Yeah, I think that Stacy's mercy is right. I think, I think that he is. And I think you're right that he probably knows that. I think we can't assume that Mike is a character who's got this blind spot that he's not seeing this, that he, he like us probably knows I didn't fall asleep. That bullet hole wasn't there when I went to bed or when I sat in that car the night before and I was listening to the ball game. Like, I think he knows that this is made up. And I think that he knows that it's made up because she wants a better house uh, and she wants to be in a different neighborhood. And I think in that regard, she probably could have just said like, hey, Mike, I really want you to help me buy a different house in a different neighborhood. It's very important to me that Kaylee have a little bit better of an upbringing. And Mike would have probably said, all right, I'll do it. But I, I think that this is – I think you're right. I think he, if he wants to be with Kaylee, this is what he's going to do. And what I don't know is whether Stacy knows that and is taking advantage of that or whether she thinks she can pull a fast one on Mike. I'm not 100% sure on that. Carrie Condon, who plays Stacy, is a very good actress. She was on Rome. Uh, she was on the short-lived HBO show Luck. Uh, so she's had great dramatic roles before uh, and and done well with them. And I think that she's an actress who certainly can pull this role off where if she is truly manipulating Mike and not uh, and thinking she can pull a fast one on him uh, or even knowing the situation and being like, I can just lie and get away with it. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that she's an actress who's capable of doing either one. So I really don't think it matters because, that, like I said, the really key fact of this is as we see throughout Breaking Bad, Mike's desire to provide a good life for Kaylee and to do right by his granddaughter is ultimately what pushes him deeper and deeper into situations that he doesn't need to or want to be in. And knowing how it ends up on Breaking Bad, it's kind of fascinating to see where it all started. Uh, and this is where it is. Not only does he take his first job ever from the vet for that reason, he could have just worked at the toll booth. Uh, he takes deeper and deeper work from this vet. Uh, and as we see by the end of this episode, uh, what could ultimately be wet work uh, that that is going to drive him further into these tough decisions just because he wants to take care of uh, Kaylee. OK, so there is a mysterious job where they ask for Mike that he gets from the vet and he goes to meet somebody who knows who he is. There's only a couple of people that it possibly could be. Were you surprised that it was Nacho? I wasn't. I mean, I don't know if you were. I just figured, like, if they're asking for him by name, which the vet says. Who knows Mike? 
yeah, that it's got to be Nacho. It's not going to be. It's not going to be uh, Mister Mister Price. It's not going to be Brian. Uh, it's not going to be that guy. Even though I think Rob, there's a good chance we'll see that guy again. They just seem to love that guy, Daniel Wormler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think we could see uh, Price again, but um, I, it's not. It's not going to be him in that in that zone. I think it's got to be Nacho, and it is Nacho showing up there. Did you feel like they went a little too far to kind of obfuscate the fact that it was Nacho? Did you? think that it could be Gus. I think a lot of people out there were hoping that it would be. I thought it possibly could be. You know, I thought that there was a chance, but it was Nacho and it is what it is. But now the question that everybody's going to be talking about. It was not Gus either. It was not (laughs) Gus. Yeah, Nacho and not Gus. (laughs) But I think that the question that everybody's going to be asking now is, who is the person that Nacho wants taken out? And now we can really start to speculate. Yep. And I think that that's the that's the key element, really, is that I think a lot of people from the Breaking Bad universe could be in play. Of course, the idea would be that if Mike is successful at this at this taken out kind of thing, that it's not a character we ever would have seen in the Breaking Bad universe. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, if it is a character that ties into the Breaking Bad universe, we will know that Mike is not successful in the job, whether he chooses to not be successful or whether he's ultimately a failure, which I think is highly unlikely. Uh, it is not going to be, uh, it is not going to be somebody who dies if they do tie into the breaking bad universe. Uh, it could be Tuco, although I think Nacho would have addressed Tuco by name, considering the fact that Mike has already mentioned Tuco to Nacho. Uh, it could be some of the other characters in that universe because Tuco is related to Hector Salamanca uh, Gus and Hector would be at odds, so it's possible that through the business that Nacho does with Tuco, that it could be Gus. I think a lot of people are hoping that it would be Gus. I think a lot of people want Gus to be coming into this show as soon as possible. Uh, I don't know if that's true. This ties in, Rob, to a question that we had uh, emailed to us. You can always email your questions to BCS at postshowrecaps.com, and we can take them on the show here. Um, But Mike Ramone had emailed us and said, I saw that Better Call Saul had very low ratings uh, for season two. Do you think we'll get any big characters from Breaking Bad to do a cameo to help out the ratings? And I guess my question to you, Rob, is if it is Gus, do you think that this is a a sort of like a fast forward on the show to try to to pop the ratings? Do you think it makes narrative sense that it could be Gus? Uh, Or do you think we could get another big cameo in this realm uh, that could be for ratings sake or otherwise. I mean, first off, the ratings for Better Call Saul, they might be down, but I think it's within the top five of cable shows. So there's no sort of ratings crisis, I don't believe, on Better Call Saul. Do you agree with that? I don't know what the demo ratings are, you know, what the actual like, you know, 2.2 or 1.8 or whatever. I do know that the total viewership for the second season is pretty much in line with where the first season was by the end of the first season. I think it's a little bit off. It's still in the, you know, the mid twos uh, when you talk about total viewers and the live plus threes and all that. I think the total viewers are about the same as where they were at the end of season one. But the end of season one's total viewers were not that great. So uh, when you compare to a show like Walking Dead or even Fear the Walking Dead. A show f- like Walking Dead is has more viewers than any other show on television, maybe save for Sunday Night Football. 
Yeah, and what I was going to say is when you compare it, it doesn't look great, and they're on the same network, so that doesn't look great. But in another in another way, the fact that The Walking Dead is so highly rated uh, does give AMC a little bit of latitude, I think, uh, to have a show like Better Call Saul, which has a loyal audience, which probably does well on Netflix and internationally, uh, and probably does well in binges and things like that, to build up. Uh, Walking Dead's providing a lot of cover, I think, for other AMC shows where the ratings are similar to Better Call Saul. So I don't think it's a crisis. I don't think they're going to call an audible and throw a cameo in there just for ratings sake. But I mean, we haven't had a season three announcement yet. So it's not like they're immediately renewing it as soon as it airs. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know where they're at with that. Uh, but I don't think they're in a crisis mode yet where they're planning a cameo in the fourth or fifth episode of the second season uh, that will just pop everybody. I think that they're smart enough to save those big kind of things uh, for the right moments. And I think we could, you know, we could see Gus this season, uh, but I would be surprised if Mike's taking shots at him next episode. But on top of everything, I mean, this isn't like this is a talk show which is being filmed live every day. These episodes are in the can. I mean, there's no way they could say, even if they got atrocious ratings in the first episode and they want to bring in some huge member of the Breaking Bad universe in by the fourth episode, there's no way that they could possibly have that happen in terms of a production schedule. Yeah, that's right. I mean, just for reference's sake, for example, uh, in, they were doing post-production work on the fourth episode uh, in December. Uh, and so they're, you know, they're well into uh, the season. Uh, ultimately, by the time any of these things airs, most of the, the shooting, if not all of it, is already in the can. So this is not something where they can respond real time to ratings uh, as they air. That said, as I said, the numbers are very similar to where they were at the end of season last year, which weren't great. So they may have looked at the end of season last year and said, okay, uh, we'll, we'll figure out a way to spike here in the second season and written it in in advance. So that's entirely possible. But you're right. It's not going to be happening real time. Uh, but that said, there's clearly an awareness that there's a desire for that. I think that's what this big buildup was about in this episode. People on Reddit are even remarking that, you know, the, this, the place where he met Nacho looked like chicken coops. Uh, and this was very similar to the places where Gus has done business in the past in the Breaking Bad universe. And this couldn't have been unintentional. So I, I do think that they, uh, that they kind of, we're, we're making it seem like it could be a bigger cameo, and it ended up being Nacho. So I think they're playing with it a little bit, but you're right. The big question is going to be, who is this other person going to be? And maybe it's not going to be anybody. Maybe it's going to be some guy who lives under a dumpster in keeping with what AMC has done in the past with these big <laughs> surprises, Rob. Yeah. Um, but but you not know, this I, show. It's a good question. Not this show. I just have to say that the way that this was treated, I think, lends credence to the idea that this person that Nacho wants to take out is a person of some significance. Yeah, I mean, we had tweets from John Max. We had tweets from Jason Riotmaker. Uh, we had tweets from Tom Haggins. All these people really are, are asking the same thing. Zach Brooks, post-show recaps on Zach Brooks, who you'll be talking about House of Cards with coming up this weekend, uh, is talking about these sorts of questions. I mean, everybody wanted to know, is this going to be Gus? Uh, is the person that he was referencing at the end going to be Gus? I think that that's where the viewership's at. People want that. And I think the show's aware of it, as you're saying. Uh, and we'll probably see that be somebody. But again, once it's somebody from that universe, we're going to know right away that they're not going to die. So that has to be handled very deftly. So I think it could be anybody, even people that we've seen before, like a Tuco. 
Yeah, I mean, I, that that's right. I just, I don't, like I said, Nacho has spoken with Mike about Tuco even last episode. So it would be a little weird if Mike, if Nacho didn't say, you know, that guy Tuco Salamanca you threatened me with last episode, I need him gone. Like it would be a little weird by that. And what we know is Nacho is operating his own little side business away from Tuco. And that side business involves drug dealing. So this could be another one of the drug dealers that comes up in the Breaking Bad universe. Uh, it could be just somebody as simple as like a crazy eight or somebody that's on Tuco's team that maybe is a rival of Nacho's. Could be Emilio. Could be one of those people that we see early on in Breaking Bad. Uh, or it could be somebody else. I mean, there are, there are, you know, there are, there are unlimited kind of possibilities that it, it, it doesn't have to be a character from the Breaking Bad universe. So uh, I think that we'll, I think we're, we're due for a kind of a cameo. We had Tuco right at the beginning of season one. I think we're due for a cameo. Who it could be, uh, I think we've, we've covered a little bit of it there. Maybe Tank. You think? No. <laughs> <laughs> Under the Dome is over, though. Yeah, that's true. We, don't, we never talk about him as a possibility. It could be Gomi. It could be Gomi. Could be Gomez. Yes. Like it could be a DEA agent who's sniffing around. So we could get some Gomi back in to Better Call Saul. There, there are opportunities for it to be someone like that. And Mike maybe has, you know, Mike, Mike could have problems with it. It could be, you know, it, I don't think it's going to be Jesse. I think the timing's not right. I don't think well, Jesse. Why would Nacho really need be, to take out Jesse? That's exactly right. That's exactly how I feel. I really don't see that being the case. Who's in Walter uh, White science class right now? Right. He's not, he's, he's just, you know, he's fallen outside. He's fallen out of windows uh, in, you know, women's bedrooms. Like this is not where Jesse's at right now. Uh, but I mean, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of other people who popped up from time to time. Uh, some of Jesse's associates. I don't know if they were in the game before Jesse or not. Um, there was the guy combo who was already killed in breaking bad. You've got skinny Pete and Badger who are probably not rounded into form yet. Uh, so You've got a lot of those kind of people uh, and maybe, you know, maybe it could be one of those people. We had Danny Trejo show up uh, early in, in season one um, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Early on in Breaking Bad. And it, so it could be someone like that. You know, it could be somebody that's a very small Breaking Bad character. Uh, but I don't think it could be anybody like that in terms of what we're trying to do here, because first off, if it was anybody who was so small potatoes, couldn't Nacho just rub that person out? Why would Nacho, who's already a tough guy, who's already involved in the drug trade, why would he need to hire Mike to go out and do a hit on somebody who is not a big deal in the in the drug game? Yeah, the only the only thing I would think about that is maybe it's an associate of Tuco's uh, who is also an associate of Nacho. Somebody uh, like the people we already saw uh, and have talked about here. Um, it could be one of those people uh, only because then Nacho can't really do it himself because there's all these things about he's got to have plausible deniability and it's better if it happened while he's standing there right next to uh, Tuco so that Nacho doesn't take the blame for it. But so it could be someone like that. But you're right. Otherwise, somebody small time like combo or, you know, a skinny Peter, a badger, yeah. someone like that. And Nacho's taking care of that. I think you're onto something. So maybe Tuco needs to sign off on all of the hits for the whole drug organization. And here's Nacho that he just wants to do his own thing. And he has this idea for this big hit but he's just going to go off and send it off on his own and hire this person to go off and do it. And then it, even if it's very successful, then we're going to have Tuco get really mad and say like, uh, Nacho, I thought you, you're a loose cannon. That, what are you like an arsonist that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that you have to run these things past me? 
Are you are you are you are you lighting up my uh, abuelita? <laughs> like what's happening here? Like yeah, we could see that. He's the thing like, is, like slipping Jimmy. They're one in the same. Yeah, not it is. I mean, well, the thing is, like, what we know about Nacho and Tuco's relationship is that Tuco is insane, and Nacho is the level-headed one. <laughs> so Tuco's like Chuck. Yeah, Tuco's like Chuck. Yeah, that's what's going on there. Like, he's the one who's, you know, he's just going off, and it's crazy. Yeah, so there's a possibility there. But yeah, I mean, Nacho is the one who's kind of talking Tuco down. Uh, he's the one who's kind of trying to come up with this alternate idea. Uh, Tuco's the one who's got to charge it to the game. He's married to the law or breaking the law in this case. And Nacho's the one like, you don't have to do this. Like, talk to these guys. This guy's not really he's a lawyer. He's not an FBI agent. Like, Nacho's the, the one who's trying to talk Tuco down. So wow. I think it's interesting. There's a possibility that, you know who else it could be, Rob? Who? It could be one of those white supremacists. It could be like Uncle yeah. Jack or one of those people that were involved there uh, because they would be a rival drug dealer to Nacho's kind of side op. All right. You want to get into some of these questions that we have from the listeners of the podcast? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Of course, every week we are going to be taking your questions. We do this right after the episode. So I know there's not a lot of turnaround time to get your questions in, but we are asking for questions on Twitter, uh, in the patron group as well. We are asking for questions. And so here are some of the questions that we have tonight. Brendan Fitzpatrick wants to know, can Antonio explain the issue with solicitation how was it different on the bus from running the commercial? Yeah, and I think the difference comes down to the fact that in the legal profession, it's fine to solicit for clients. I mean, everybody's seen these crazy commercials for lawyers. We've seen them in this universe. We've seen Gene watching them in the future. But you have to make it clear that it's an advertisement. You, you can't. It has to be clear that it's an ad. And the reason for that is you're not really allowed to trick people into you being their lawyer. <laughs> lawyers already have a bad enough rep that you're not allowed to go in and just kind of trick them uh, into being their lawyer. You have to get them willingly to kind of approach you and say, I want you to be my lawyer. You can't really trick your way in. So the bus trick was a trick. Uh, it was very much a trick. We saw him paying off the bus driver. That's the level of trick that it was. Uh, and clearly that was to get uh, the ability to solicit more clients. And that was a trick. That wasn't a clear ad. That was that was what it was. Uh, we saw, in fact, we heard that the ads weren't working that well. When they tried the official way where they sent them a very clear ad in the mail, it wasn't getting through to them. So Jimmy was doing it differently. He was doing it the slip and Jimmy way. Uh, and that's why it was different. You're not allowed to trick people into you being their lawyer. Katie Donegan says, how great was it when they were in the old lady's apartment filming the commercial when Jimmy clapped his hands, the lamp turned on? Yeah, that was great. Uh, that's just that that old lady. I mean, I love the I'm ready for my close up Mr. McGill line. Yeah, we have uh, we've tracked on on these podcasts all of the various film references. We had a couple actually pop up in this episode, but a reference to Sunset Boulevard and one of the most famous lines in movie history. Uh, it was just perfect. It was so funny. Everything about that. The Alpine Shepherd Boy came back, Rob. Yeah. It was fantastic. What about Ice Station Zebra? Yeah, Ice Station Zebra is the Rock Hudson movie that uh, Kim and Jimmy are watching. Uh, this is actually something, a reference that does come up in the Breaking Bad universe. Uh, we find out that Saul Goodman has named one of his various holding companies that he uses uh, to kind of wash money, it seems like. He's named it Ice Station Zebra, uh, perhaps in reference to this uh, favorite movie of Kim's. Uh, so I think that that is uh, maybe maybe Saul, even Saul Goodman's a little sentimental. 
All right, Rob, I have a question for you, and this comes from Post Show, great friend of Post Show Recaps, Brendan Fitzpatrick. Brendan wanted us to do, he said, Brendan said, how much to have you guys dial 505-242-7700 on the Post Show Recaps podcast for Better Call Saul tonight? That's the number that was in the ad for Sandpiper uh, clients. So, Rob, can we call that number? Yeah, we'll do it for free. How about that? One. Yeah, boom. 505-242-7700. Seven seven zero zero. This is why they make people have five 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 numbers on TV. Okay, let's let's call it. We're better calling, <laughs> and no, said it was busy. Busy signal. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like the numbers spell out anything. If you sort of like uh, got out on the, you know, the zeros don't. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, the thing is, Rob, uh, that there. It, it's the funny thing is. That there have been numbers on matchbooks in this show for James, the law offices of James M. McGill, uh, that if you call them with the 505 number, you do get a recording. Hmm. Uh, and maybe the show too many people are these, calling it tonight. I think that may be it. There's too many Sandpiper clients out there. It's a Sandpiper's pit, Rob. I already told you. Like, this is people are trying to call. They saw they were watching Murder She Wrote at 314. They saw the ad. <laughs> is and that now what's they going want, on? Now they want to sign up. This is it. We have to wait for Davis and Maine to be open. Yeah, we have to wait for Davis and Maine to be open. And this is just proof of concept, Rob. This is proof that the ad worked. Uh, and so maybe this will get Jimmy out of the hole ultimately. I don't know. Uh, I think this is funny. I, I will, I will say, I mean, this is really something that the show does, does do. They set up numbers like this. And so I encourage people, if, if you're getting a busy signal tonight, please stand by, call again. Operators will be standing by at a later time. Katie Donigan also wants to know, why didn't Jimmy just show Cliff the commercial ahead of time? Was there something unethical about the ad itself? Antonio, in your legal expertise, was there anything that you saw that was potentially not legal about the ad that Jimmy made? Yeah, I think that the the, the real question there is that it's not... 100% clear. I, I didn't see the fine print. You know, I didn't see the, this is an advertisement. You know, I didn't see those things that were in the ad. And I think those things are very important. The fine print, as you've probably seen, professional driver on closed course. You've seen these things that pop up in ads repeatedly. You've heard all of the side effects that come up in the drug ads. There are laws about what you have to represent on these things. And here he had just this old lady saying she was a sandpiper resident who had her neck nest egg stolen rob mm -hmm. uh, and i don't think it was a hundred percent clear that this lady was an actress so i do think that i i don't know that that's why jimmy didn't talk about it uh i think that that's something that jimmy may not be a hundred percent on board with caring about or really knowing about and i think that cliff could have a real problem with that i think we could see that come up but i really think the reason that he didn't show it to him first is he knew it wouldn't go through just because their bland ad took so long to approve right and i think that's the reason for that scene in this episode where he watched the previous commercial having seen that he knew there was no shot all right robin i've got this from pj in albuquerque pj said mike's daughter-in-law is up to something i live in albuquerque it's right there in pj's name i know her hood is a nice safe one can we hate on chuck some more i don't know if those two things are related Rob. <laughs> now <laughs> doesn't she live in the same hood that walter white lives in uh, it's very familiar looking i think it, it, it doesn't look like it's that much of a step down from the walter white uh, neighborhood for sure uh, i didn't see any pizzas on roofs in her neighbor's yeah. houses but um, yeah it doesn't look like that bad of a neighborhood i'm not sure what her end game is there uh, i i don't think we've ever gotten the impression that she lives in a horrible place uh, mike didn't roll up to the house and be like we've got to get you out of here soon 
soon as possible. Right. Like that never happened. So I don't know what her end game is. Uh, PJ in Albuquerque seems to think that there's no reason for her to move. I haven't seen any reason for her to move either. So I don't know what she wants or why she wants it, but I do think that that's a question, as we've highlighted, that I think we could see answered a little more clearly later in the season. All right, Antonio, do you have a hashtag for this episode? I don't know. What, I, I, what we've, we had a couple. What do we have? The, the one I have is beta male. Yeah, we have beta male. I, I actually was just in the process of looking that one up. Uh, I feel like that was some uh, stand-up comedian's uh, <laughs> stand-up special. Uh, but uh, we could try beta male. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. So the ultimate beta male so far, I think, on Better Call Saul is Daniel Wormler, is Price. And just one final thing I wanted to uh, I wanted to put a pin in for us, Rob. Uh, one of the things that comes up in Breaking Bad when Walter is trying to launder money is well is 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 he asked Saul for some help and Saul's like I got this laser tag place that you should look at what this laser tag place has is a guy who knows what's up and who will help you kind of you know launder the money uh this guy's name is Daniel you need a Daniel so I'm wondering is this the same Daniel hmm I could see that guy into laser tag to be honest. <laughs> it's just one step up from Yo-Yo, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the real guy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, they're not the same person. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe they, they are. Were. He calls him Danny. You know, he call, he refers to him as Danny in Breaking Bad. So I don't know if Daniel Wormler is going to become Danny. Uh, if Price is his street name. Uh, he's also been known by Playa, as we know. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's a Playa of Laser Base. I don't know. Yeah. But I do think that there's a possibility that we're going to see more of Danny. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who said that. It's just this show is so connected that, uh, that that's something I think we we didn't get any more price this week, but I, we may not be done with him. All right. Well, great job. Once again, Antonio, you can follow Antonio on Twitter. He is at AC Mazzaro. That's with two Z's and but one R. Yeah, two Z's, one R. I'm no beta male here, baby. Yeah, I'm at Rob Sesternino. We love hearing from you guys about the show all week long. We also like to get your comments on post-show recaps, and we especially enjoy it when you subscribe to the podcast and leave us your feedback and star ratings on iTunes. You can go to postshowrecaps.com slash BCS iTunes. You can subscribe to the podcast there and then go ahead and leave us star ratings and comments. Helps more and more people find the show, especially when you leave us an honest review. No pressure. No pressure. Better call. Good yeah. reviews. Antonio, anything else? No, that's it, man. I, uh, I'm, I, this is a, the chess pieces episode, but I love these chess pieces. I, this is my favorite chessboard ever, so I'm happy to see them moving around. Wow. Favorite ever. Well, what's your favorite chessboard ever, Rob? See, I didn't think you had an answer for that. <laughs> I have a Civil War chess set that I've... I, I, I'm not sure I believe you, but okay. <laughs> I'm going to accept that that might be true. Well, who's right. the king? Stonewall Jackson on one side, U.S. Yes. Grant on the other? Yeah. Yes. I'm not buying uh, this. No, Abraham Lincoln is the, is the uh, king on the other side. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. So we are going to be back next week after episode four of season two of Better Call Saul. If you have any questions during the week, don't be afraid to email us bcs at postshowrecaps.com. Have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye.